It's episode 51 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back. Thanks for joining me as always on Keto for Women. And we're approaching the one-year anniversary. I'm going to have to think of something really fun to do for our one-year birthday of the Keto for Women show. It's coming up in the next few weeks. So be on the lookout for something fun that we'll do for that. I don't know what it's going to be yet. But today, we're here with another Keto Hot Seat episode. So many questions came in for this episode. I asked not even 24 hours ago for some questions, and I already have over 100 that I need to answer. So we're going to be doing a lot of hot seat episodes in the near future here to get through all these questions that you all have. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback on these episodes. So I think it really is something that we should do more of around here. Don't you agree? It's going to be so fun. And then you guys get the answers to your questions that are on your mind. And so you can go about your keto lifestyle with a little bit more knowledge, which is obviously what this whole podcast is about. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Just a few things here. So coming back from the low-carb cruise, when this episode airs, I will have already been back for almost a week, but I'm currently recording this prior to going. So I'm actually spending the day packing and everything. But now we're in the future and I already attended the low carb cruise and I'm sure it was amazing. And hopefully I met some of you in person and got to know you a little bit better. And now my next thing coming up will be KetoCon, which I'm sure there will be many of you there, hopefully attending KetoCon in Austin, Texas in a few weeks. June 15th through 17th, 2018. So coming up here shortly. And I will be on stage on Sunday talking about how to make your version of keto, how to find that version of keto that works for you so you don't have to follow all these crazy rules that everyone's telling you to do. And you can just do you. So of course, one of my favorite topics, something I talk about a lot here on Keto for Women. So it's going to be appropriate that I will be spending about, what, 40, 45 minutes talking on stage to lots of people about that. That will be my last time being on stage for 2018, at least as of now. I think four is pretty good, especially for someone that had a huge fear of public speaking in the past, which I know is probably hard to believe and imagine because of all the podcasting I've done and the talks I've done since. And so I think it's gone away. I think I'm done with that. That was a fear that is no longer there. It's no longer manifesting. Now I love to do so and have so much fun meeting everybody and you know sharing what I have learned over the course of years with all of you. So if you are going to be at KetoCon, please make sure you come find me, introduce yourself. I have a lot of people that say, oh, I saw you at such and such, but didn't say anything. And I don't like that. I want you to say something. I want to meet you in person and give you a hug. So just know that if you do see me, don't be shy or don't think that I don't want to say hi because I do. (laughs) I really, truly do. So make sure to come and find me. 
A few things to note about today specifically. Today is the first day that you can join in on the Fat-Burning Female Self-Study class. So what this is, I've talked about it a few times before, but I'll go into a little bit more detail now. What this is, it's basically, I would say, about almost exactly 50% of the Fat-Burning Female class Actually, it's a very watered-down version of the Fat-Burning Female Project, which is something I've been doing now for a year and a half, having groups of women go through the keto transition process as a group together in a safe approach for women in a way that's going to promote better health in your body instead of deteriorating your health even further, which is the case for the quote-unquote typical ketogenic diet. So I've been doing that for a really long time and have always felt this pull to try to reach more women because, of course, the classes, they do fill up quickly. There's a certain number of seats available in every class and they sell out. And not only that, there's just some people that don't want to be in a group. There's some people that love the community and there's some people that don't want the community. So if that's the case for you and you're not someone that wants to be a part of and do this with a group of women and don't need necessarily the support of myself and your peers or don't want that and just kind of want to do it on your own terms, but still learn, I guess, my technique, my approach to the keto transition, then the self-study would be a good option for you. So it still is a six-week class. I guess you go week by week, so you don't get all six weeks right away. That's really important to the process, regardless of whether you're in the project or the self-study. So you will get new information every week for six weeks. All of that is the same. The keto transition is the same. You just do not have access to me. So there is not the ability to kind of get support or help or guidance from me in that process. And you do not have access to the Facebook group. That's really, I think, the most important, most beneficial thing for the women going through the Fat Burning Female Project is to have the help and support and just kind of love of other women going through the process too, and just kind of becoming friends with other women in the keto community that are doing keto in the health promoting way, in a positive way, and not some of the negativity that I know really lingers around in some of those other Facebook groups that are keto centric. I'm not part of them, I refuse, but I've heard some pretty bad horror stories about some of the things that go on in those other groups. And we're not like that. I would not ever tolerate that. We only say nice, great, positive, uplifting things, and we get help when we need help. And it's just a much better, more lifestyle-centric community that we have over there. But not something that is necessary in order to make the keto transition, just something that people do find really helpful if you do want support. But again, not everyone's like that. And if you're not, I don't want you to feel like you can't be part of the Fat-Burning Female course in general. So that's where the self-study comes in. It's also a really good option if you are someone that needs to perhaps break up the payments or something like that for the Fat-Burning Female project because you can get started with the Fat-Burning Female self-study and then join the project later on. So it can be kind of a stepping stone into you becoming part of the bigger group and becoming part of that community. So you can have this stepping stone You can start with the self-study, and then when it's the next time to enroll in the Fat-Burning Female Project, you can do that. So a couple options there for you. 
I will just be totally honest and say that the reason why it has taken me so long, a year and a half now to do this is because I really do believe in the power of doing this in a group. And I do see how it could be a little bit challenging to do so on your own without the support, just based on the questions and everything that I get on a daily basis from the women in the project, I could see how it would be difficult to do on your own. So that was always something that kind of haunted me in the back of my mind that kept me from doing this. So I'm just giving it a shot. And if it doesn't work, then it's not going to stay as a course option. But we're going to give it a shot because I do want to help as many women as possible. That's always been my goal. So that's what we're doing here with the self-study. So hopefully it works for you and you can get started there and then move on to the project a little bit later if that's what you want to do. So that's that. You can go to my website to enroll or you can go to bit.ly FBF self study. That's bit.ly slash FBF self study, all lowercase. And you can learn a little bit more about it and get enrolled and get started. You can get started pretty much right away. Although I do recommend having a few days of prep time before you get going. So give yourself a little bit of time to look over the material, get yourself ready, and then maybe start on, you know, we start on a Monday, but we get our materials on Friday as part of the project. So something like that would be good. So today's Friday. You can get going on Monday if you'd like, or you can wait a week or a month or whatever you want to do that will always be available for you over there bit.ly slash fbf self-study. All right, enough with those updates. Let's get to these questions. So as I mentioned, and let's go over again what it means, the keto hot seat edition. What do these mean? What it is, I've taken questions. I only do questions that I get on my social media posts when I ask for hot seat questions. This really helps cut down on the length of the question and the specifics, getting these very specific questions. It really helps keep them more general. And so we're able to answer more questions quicker and in a more general sense to where we can really reach more people and have more people get their questions answered, basically, instead of it being so specific. So this is really the format that I will do moving forward to answer listener questions will be in this keto hot seat format because it's just way more fun. What's also cool is that I have not looked at them. I have no idea what the questions are. Like I said, I've gotten over a 100. I haven't looked at a single one. And so it's me, which is why it's kind of called the hot seat, It's me just answering right what comes into mind, what comes into my head, what I know about the specific topic and going from there. So of course, there's going to be times I don't know. I just don't know the answer or it might be something I would need to research further or maybe I know someone that might know more that I can direct you to. But I'm going to be totally honest with you and tell you if I don't know because that's the kind of person that I am. I think that makes a good practitioner and someone who's willing to know what they do or what they are or are not an expert on. And that's what I want to do for you all here on Keto for Women. So we're going to get started with these questions. I'm starting with the ones coming from Instagram. There were over 75 and they're still coming in because like I said, it hasn't even been 24 hours. So obviously not going to get to 75 today, but I will refer back to this specific post over the next probably five to six keto hot seat episodes and we'll get through them all. 
Now, because I've already done, obviously, I've already done 50 episodes of Keto for Women, and I've answered a lot of your questions, and I've already done quite a few Keto Hot Seat episodes too. So if there's something that's been covered, I may give you a little bit of a quick answer, but I might also tell you to just go listen to that episode because we really want to try to get through as many questions as possible and get through some new subjects potentially too. So that might be what I give you as well. All right. So now that I got that out of the way, and now that you know that I might just tell you that I have no idea the answer to your question, let's go because I'm curious to see what all 75 of these questions could possibly be. All right, here we go. First one, my naturopath recommended castor oil packs for detoxing the liver, but I noticed you never mentioned that in your liver episode. Thoughts on castor oil packs? That's actually so funny because after recording that episode, I was like, shoot, I should have talked about castor oil packs because I do really like them. I think they're really great for detoxifying your body. My only thing that I will say about castor oil packs is you have to kind of prep your body to be ready to handle that level of detox because it can be pretty significant. They're super safe and really great for your liver, but your liver has to be ready to handle that. So that's why I do think some of the steps that I talked about in the liver episode are best to do just that first. So do the changes to your diet that I mentioned in that episode, you know, maybe start with some easy liver support supplements, get on that path. And then you can move on to castor oil packs after you've done that for, you know, a couple of weeks to a month and you've really primed your liver and the rest of your body because we also detox through our bowel movements. So we have to have really good digestion as well. So just taking the time to prep your body for that. I mean, our skin, of course, is a huge detox organ. So making sure that you're ready to detox through that pathway is really important too. So that's what I, I guess maybe I didn't think to mention it in the liver episode is just because it does take a little more prep work before I would recommend that. For those that don't know what a castor oil pack is, I'll just talk about it really quickly. So basically, you're putting castor oil on a, I want to say wool. It's a specific type of fabric that is used. I have it. I actually own it, but I can't remember what it is off off the top of my head. But it's a special type of fabric wool that kind of absorbs the castor oil, but is also really safe to use on your skin. Like it doesn't have any bleach or other random chemicals used. So it's really safe to use. And you just basically drench that fabric with castor oil and you put it over your liver. So you kind of lay it on your stomach and then you heat it up. So you can use like a heating pad or something like that to warm it up. And it is feels so good. I've done them before. It's so calming. I think it's partially helpful because it's doing great things for your liver. But I think it's also partially helpful because it totally gets you into parasympathetic mode. And I'd have the castor oil pack laying on my belly. And then I would also have my feet up a wall. So legs up the wall pose if you do yoga and like a yin yoga. And it would just like totally added to the whole like detox effect, I think. So I love them. And I think they're really great. I think once your liver is primed and ready to go, and you feel like you have the ability to detox appropriately, then I would say doing them once or twice a week would be a great routine to get into, especially if you feel like you're toxic. I know it's hard to 
know that, but you can get a sense of how you're doing, I think. And if you feel like that's something that you might need to do, even just based on your past lifestyle or what you have going on. I mean, I was doing them when I was trying to get rid of mold toxicity because I'm like anything to help this, right? So things like that could prompt you to want to do so. You can get more information specifically on how to do them. It's been a while since I've done one, so I don't have all the specifics of exactly how to do it. But you can just Google castor oil packs. It will show you exactly what to do. And then you can get all of the supplies at your local health food store. So like a natural grocers, a Whole Foods, something like that will have all the supplies you need. Or you can get them from Amazon. Just Google it and get everything you need if you'd like to try that. But great question. I love that. Tips on maintaining a keto lifestyle when your spouse, significant other is not on board. Ooh, I like this one and it got a lot of likes. So something we definitely need to talk about because that's really important and it's so hard. It is so hard. And I think there's a couple different ways to go about it. First of all, it kind of depends on if your significant other is just kind of like doing their own thing and like you're doing your own thing and you just kind of do that or if your significant other is adamantly against it and like fights you every time you're eating like a scoop of coconut oil or something because they think that fat is bad or you're going to get heart disease or something like that from saturated fat. So it kind of depends on the spectrum of how against it they are, I think a little bit. Because I mean, especially I think if someone is really just uneducated and really trying to get you to not do what you're doing, then I think it does take an actual conversation. And I think it's more so than just sending them articles and just arguing about it and just nitpicking and everything. I think it actually takes like, hey, can we actually sit down and talk about this and maybe pull out some books or have some studies that you've printed out and highlighted? I mean, I know that sounds like not very much fun to do with your significant other, but I think it really is important because not only are you working on your health, but of course, you're also concerned with their health. And so you have to have that conversation at some point and have it not be like an emotional conversation because that usually leads to some sort of disagreement or argument or something like that, but just I really like, this is what I'm doing. This is why. Here's the research. Here's some books to read. Here's why I think it could be good for you too, if that's something that you even want to approach. If you're in the situation where you just want them to understand what you're doing and not yet ready to approach what they're doing, then don't even go there. But I do think having a nice, thoughtful conversation and just sitting down and actually doing it just so that they're at least will accept what you're doing and understand why, I think that makes a huge difference. If it's just someone that just don't want to do it, you know, and I guess then we could transition that person that's like totally against it into someone that's just going to be like, eh, you do you and I'll do me. I think that that's an okay place to be. Of course, like I said, we care about these people. So you want them to also be doing the best thing for their health because you want them to be around for a long time, right? But that could be maybe something to approach down the road. But I think right now, what you have to do is get support elsewhere. So you do you, they're doing them. And you're just going to kind of have to figure that out. I mean, I know it's probably a little bit difficult to figure out how it works as far as your meal prep and planning and eating. That's a whole different topic. But I think as far as actually like just living life, 
You just need to get support elsewhere. And that's really where I think having a community like Fapperney Female, like we do there, there's so many women that don't have their family on board, but they're willing and able to turn to their friends now in this community and talk about it and talk about the problems that maybe they are having with their spouses not wanting to be a part of this or just other roadblocks they're having that really they would potentially normally discuss with their spouse or significant other if they were in that boat and if they were, you know, on board. But since they're not, they'd still have another place to turn. So that could also be like a meetup group or maybe just a group of friends. Maybe there's even just one friend that you have or even just an acquaintance. Maybe it's someone at work or something that is also keto. Just find somebody in your sphere, even if it's like a Facebook friend that you haven't talked to in years, but you found that they were doing keto. Maybe it's something you could message them and just start chatting so that you have someone I think it just helps to have someone. And of course, like I hope even just having me in your ears once a week really helps too. And just knowing that there is a community here, there is this sense of something bigger that we're doing and these questions that we all have, right, that we can get answered and just, you know, regardless, you're going to need support. And of course, we always want the support to come from the people that we're closest to. But when it doesn't, you just have to start looking elsewhere. So from there... You know, I think you have that support. You're feeling confident about what you're doing. And then I think what happens then is hopefully at some point, and I hear this happens quite a bit just from the ladies that I have in class, that at some point then your significant other also starts getting curious because you're sleeping way better, you're looking younger, your energy's way up, your mental clarity is amazing. Like you're just feeling really good and you're looking really good and then things start getting curious, right? So people start asking what you're doing and the same will go hopefully for your significant other and And then that's when the conversation can turn to like, well, here's what it could do for you. Here's kind of how you could get started. And then it becomes more of a thing where it now is a team thing and you're helping them. And and that's, of course, kind of how I see it going. Like that would be like the ideal situation of how this could all go. And of course, that's not going to be the case for everybody. But I think my biggest answer to this question is to just seek out support from wherever you can get it. And hopefully you do have a little bit of support system. Even if you have to start like a keto meetup group in your area, just start it. That would be really fun, I think, for a lot of you to do. And to have these little meetups going on over across the country or across the world, I think that would be so cool. So maybe we can get started on that. All right, moving on. What does it mean when you change your diet, not just keto, and later you have changes in your cycle, example, spotting? So I talk about this a lot. So we'll keep it short and sweet. The reason is because that change caused stress on your body. And when your body is stressed, your hormones take a toll and will show up in changes in your cycle. A lot of times, You know, especially with people that are doing kind of the quote unquote traditional keto or typical keto, this happens. And it's because it's so stressful on the body, which is, and it's particularly the female body and something we're already like almost all of us are kind of stuck in this stress mode. And then we add one more thing and it's like, nope, 
not, I can't do this. And especially with food intake, I think food intake is one of the biggest stressors on our body because our bodies need nourishment. And as soon as they're not getting it or not getting what they're used to, it's like total freak out. Like we have to be in conservation mode. There's definitely not enough energy to create a baby. So we're going to stop the normal cycle so that that baby can't be made. Our bodies are really, really smart. So this is why I do what I do. This is why the Keto for Women show exists because we've got to get more women doing a keto lifestyle that involves plenty of nourishment, plenty of food, plenty of energy, get out of the diet mentality, stop tracking their food, stop making it another stressful environment, and just start living and eating in a way that is right and balanced and healthy for your body. So that's why I'm here doing what I do. That is the case for any sort of transition. Like if you go from eating a standard American diet to being on Weight Watchers, that's super stressful on the body. If you go from being a standard American diet to like paleo, also stressful. And a lot of times it is just because, or one of the biggest reasons is because you start eating way less food. You know, even just going, and I did this when I switched from like, I was healthy kind of bodybuilder diet <laughs> before I turned to a ketogenic diet, but I was eating like brown rice and chicken breasts and broccoli and, you know, all that typical stuff. And then I switched to paleo and without even trying, of course, instead of having regular rice, I started having cauliflower rice. And so just something as simple as that, where it's like, I'm having the same meals, but what you're doing is providing a lot less energy because those aren't comparable as far as energy goes or calories go, if you want to use that word. So just simple things like that can be super stressful on their body when your body is not used to it. And that goes for keto, obviously, as well. Before we move on with this episode, let me just take a minute to remind you all about the healing power of bone broth and more specifically, Oh So Good Bone Broth, who is a proud Keto for Women sponsor. Bone broth is the best, most nutrient-dense way that you can go to heal your body and heal your gut and improve your skin and nails and hair. The amino acid profile in bone broth is absolutely incredible, something we all need and a lot of us miss on a regular basis. Not to mention those micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals also provided naturally in bone broth that work to heal your gut and also to heal your immune system and to keep you healthy and well. That's why we are recommended to drink broth when we're sick or when we feel ourselves getting sick. And to have that in a package that is so delicious and so easy, all you have to do is grab a pack of oh so good bone broth out of your freezer, let it thaw, put it into a pot, and you can use it either in recipes for whatever you're making that day, or my personal favorite is to just drink it straight out of a mug. It's very comforting and warm. I love to do it before bed. It's kind of my nighttime ritual. It calms me down, makes sure that I'm nice and healthy heading into bedtime, and I have those nutrients ready to go. Oh So Good Bone Broth is 100% the best tasting broth out there. It is the best one I have ever had. I've tried them all. I am a huge fan of the flavors 
of the bone broth that they have there at Oh So Good. My favorite is the signature. I highly recommend that. A close second is the spicy pork. So make sure when you are placing your order with Oh So Good, you grab those two and just give them a try. Let me know if you think they're your favorite too. And just make sure you always have some around. I know you can make your own, but there's just times when all of a sudden you or your family member feels like they're coming down with something and you need some broth immediately, but you don't have any bones. You don't have the time to make some broth. And it's just really nice to have that in the freezer ready to go for whenever you or your family needs it, which really, honestly, it's an everyday thing. You need to be making this a ritual so that it gets into your health care routine because it is a much needed part of that. So head to ohsogoodbones.com and get $10 off your order when you use the code KETO, the number for women. That's O-S-S-O goodbones.com and use the coupon code KETO, the number for women to place your order, get $10 off. Make sure to try all those flavors. Try the soups too. They are phenomenal and so easy to pull out and have around for a quick dinner. Uh, Just so great. Everything's so good there. I promise you're going to be obsessed. How does one eat intuitively when they're cooking for a family that still wants and needs three meals a day and where meal planning for time and budget reasons is absolutely necessary? Example, sometimes you suddenly want steak, but steak isn't an option that day because you've already thought the chicken and all the little people in the house expect to eat in an hour. I love this question. That's so cute. Yeah, I agree. Intuitive eating is kind of this awesome, great thing that we should be getting into the habit of doing as much of the time as we can, right? It's not something that's always going to happen. Just like you're never going to eat carbs again. You know, like we have these really awesome ideas and goals and ideas for our health, but it's not always possible. It's just not always possible. And especially in a case where, you know, meal planning is a situation. And I know a lot of you do a lot of meal planning and prep. And so you're ready to eat for five meals that week, this particular thing. And then by meal three, you're like, ugh, I don't want to eat this anymore. But yet you're not going to kind of waste your food and let it go bad. You have to keep eating it. And then, you know, the case that you gave with wanting a steak but not having it available the fact that you notice that and the same thing with the fact that you don't want to eat meal three when you still have that to go, it's all part of the process. And you noticing that is huge, that you're not just like, all right, here's my meal three. This is just what I'm going to eat. Or here's my chicken. It's going to taste terrible, but this is what we're doing. The fact that you even notice that you want something else is part of the process. And that's really important because that means that you're tuning in to your intuitiveness and what your body is telling you it wants. So then right there, that's the biggest step. That's kind of the hardest thing for a lot of people when they're eating or trying to eat intuitively is they just can't even tap in to what their body's telling them. So you're already doing it. And now you just have to kind of, unfortunately, know it's not going to be like that 100% of the time. You know, like I'm getting ready to leave on vacation and I've had the same exact meal for it will be six, (laughs) six meals in two and a half days when I eat dinner tonight because I'm trying to get rid of the food that's in my fridge. Now, I don't really want that, but it's a necessity, you know, and I know that I don't want that. And I know that I'd prefer something else at this point, but oh well, right? I'm still considering myself an intuitive eater and life goes on. 
The only other thing I would say is you can still find ways to where, like for instance, the chicken. You really want steak, but you have chicken. So what can you do to that chicken to make it look really, really appealing, like almost as appealing as the steak? Because there's things you can do. So like with my salad and beef that I've been trying now for six meals to finish up, what can I do to spice that up a bit, to make it a little bit different, to make it more appealing and to where my body really wants that? You know, are there certain things that I can add, certain spices or flavors or fat, something like that where I can mix it up? And that would be a case too for if you're meal prepping and, you know, what can you do for meals three, four, and five because you're sick of them to mix it up just enough to where it is something that looks really appealing. So yeah, you're doing it for sure. It's just unfortunately never going to be 100% of the time because life happens, right? Just like everything. Does electrolyte and mineral deficiency cause keto, quote unquote, stank? (laughs) I am wondering why some people get it and some don't. Yeah, it actually can. This is really fascinating, but I learned this in nutritionist school and I had no idea. If you are magnesium deficient, then you will have stronger body odor and would also be potentially the cause of like stinky feet. Isn't that fascinating? I think that's so cool. And it's totally just an electrolyte imbalance and it's where your magnesium is a little low. So if you ever notice that about yourself, up your magnesium and see if it helps because it probably will, at least to some degree. Now, of course, there's other reasons that you're stinky and we'll talk about that because especially with keto, maybe a lot of you potentially have noticed that your body odor changes. So it starts smelling more like almost sweeter And that's because you have actual like acetone in your sweat, which is a byproduct of ketone production. So that's probably what you're noticing. If you just notice that you smell differently, if you notice that you just smell stronger, like it's body odor just to the different degree that you're used to, then yeah, definitely look into upping your magnesium and really just electrolytes in general, getting the salt in your water and just drinking more water overall. I enjoy having a glass of wine, but always afraid that it will bump me out of ketosis. I usually drink more of the drier white wines, which I know are lower in carbs, but on average, how many glasses can I have per week? I have been restricting myself to a glass a week, which has been hard at times when going out socially. I've been doing keto for one month and down 6.6 pounds. I think that's a good start. Do you agree? How much should I expect to lose per week from here on? I'm only looking to lose another six pounds to get to my goal weight, and I'm finding that I feel incredible. Wish I had made the switch much sooner. Love all that you do. You give me great info and motivation. Thank you. Okay, so first question, glass of wine. It totally depends. So I really can't tell you how much wine to drink per week. That's really something, and you know, you're asking this question and you mentioned that you feel restricted. So that's showing me that you're not feeling like this could be something you do long-term. And that's what I want you to find out. What can you do? What changes need to be made in your ketogenic lifestyle to make you feel comfortable that you could do this long-term and not feel that restriction? If that means that you have two glasses of wine a week, then do it. If that means that some weeks you have zero and some weeks you have three, then do that. And I think as far as you actually staying in ketosis, hard to tell. That's different for everybody. It totally depends on what your body does with that alcohol. I mean, regardless, our bodies will always burn through alcohol first. 
then glucose, then ketones. So you're not going to be utilizing your ketones at that time. Although I do think that there is a little bit, and I don't know this for sure. There, I don't know if there's studies on this or not, but just based on my own experience, I do see that it's not like you totally stop producing ketones while you're drinking or afterwards while your body's burning through that alcohol. So I do think that there is still the potential to be burning both ketones potentially and alcohol potentially at the same time. Again, no scientific research on this. So don't quote me on that. But I guess kind of what I have seen with my own alcohol consumption and still staying in ketosis and feeling like I'm in ketosis and not really having much happen at all in the way of what's going on in my body when I do drink wine or tequila or whatever it is for the night. So those are my two responses is you have to find out how alcohol affects you and your ketosis first. And then from there, decide how much that is worth it. So if it does bump you out of ketosis, how often is it worth it to do that for you and for your goals and what you're looking to achieve and how you're looking to feel? And especially like, do you notice that you feel any differently after you have two glasses of wine? If you do, and you don't like how you feel, then maybe that's not really a good choice to make most of the time. But if you feel just fine, and you're staying in ketosis, and you're still working on the health goals that you have, then go for it. And so we're working on that. But then we're also looking at what needs to happen to make you feel not restricted. Because if you feel restricted, you're not going to do this long term. It's just going to really snowball and you're going to just go off the rails. So what I'd rather you do is take out that word restriction. And in order to do so, you need to find out what that means for you. So That's my answer. I can't really tell you like, oh, two glasses is fine because I don't know. Next question with her was she's wondering if I agree that six pounds is enough. I don't even know. She wants something that I can't answer. I'm not going to answer whether 6.6 pounds is a good start for you because I don't know you. I don't know anything about your health status or your goals or what you're doing or how your keto looks. I mean, I know nothing. So yeah, I just can't answer that. Sorry, but glad you're loving it. Can vegans be keto? Of course. Yeah. And I did talk about this. I've had this question before. So definitely go back and listen to that episode, which I don't know which one it is, but maybe I can find that for you and have it posted in the show notes. Yes, definitely keto and vegan can go together. Of course, it's going to be harder a little bit because we're taking out a lot of what you're probably used to eating and especially trying to get your protein from plant-based sources. Um, that might change a little bit because those typically also have carbohydrates attached. My recommendation, of course, always for this kind of situation is if you can potentially get in some eggs or some fish or some collagen or something to where you're getting a little bit of meat protein, which I know 99% of vegans aren't going to be open to doing. So I respect that totally, but that's just my recommendation just based on what I know about veganism and our bodies and needing that animal source of protein every once in a while, that would be my reply. But yeah, you're just getting lots of plant-based fats and getting as many pure protein sources as you can, which might be the toughest part. But other than that, you're just eating a lot of fat, so you shouldn't have a problem. 
What are the ratios of electrolytes we need and which supplements do you recommend? I see so many different supplements with such a variety of amounts of the different electrolytes. Yeah, so the one that I recommend is in episode 16, that downloadable PDF with my supplement recommendations. So you can go ahead and download that and order that. Super easy, but I can't tell you the ratios because everyone's different. So we all have different electrolyte levels in our body. And they all need to be in balance with each other. And just for what you do, like how much you sweat, how much water you drink. And so you have to find that out for you, right? So you know your electrolytes are in balance when you have really good energy, you have really good sleep, basically everything. Everything that we kind of think of when we feel good, like, you know, just mental clarity and focus and all that stuff that we think about when we feel really good, all of those will be in alignment when you have good electrolyte balance for your body. So really, it's just supplementing as much as you need for you and finding that sweet spot for you and then doing that. So with the ones that I recommend, again, from episode 16 with the supplement recommendations, and I'll link to that in the show notes here. With that, I always recommend starting with three per day, which is also what it says on the label, but be prepared to go more if you need to go more in order to feel, you know, like I said, balance and all those things we look for. I've been keto for about four months and have PCOS. I was wondering if you could discuss some hormonal changes and symptoms I might experience as my hormones level out. My period, which was usually quite regular, was late and I've been having breast tenderness mid-cycle and have been feeling overall pretty hormonal, quote unquote. Yeah, so I would question, first of all, if you are doing keto in a safe approach for women. Because a lot of times, like I mentioned earlier, even in this episode, a lot of times we kind of do the more typical approach to a ketogenic diet, and it can actually kind of tank your hormones even more, which is why you might be experiencing some of these hormonal symptoms that are happening in your fourth month of being keto. So, you know, make sure you're actually in ketosis, make sure you're eating enough food, make sure you've taken the time to transition appropriately, listen to your body and and see if it is telling you that may need a little bit of carbohydrate occasionally, or maybe an increase in just food overall, or maybe an increase in fat or protein or whatever. So there's a lot of different kind of legs to the stool on this one. But make sure all of that is balanced out first, and then you should see a change. We should go back to where your hormones or your cycles were a little more regular and not as painful, all that stuff. So because you have PCOS, I would expect, so we did talk about this when I had Jimena on as a guest and we talked all about PCOS, but what you're looking for is ovulation. So not only are you cycling and having an actual menstrual cycle every month that comes with you know a period at the end, but you are also ovulating mid-cycle. So you're having those signs of ovulation. I talked about what those signs are and how to look for them in last week's episode when I talked about birth control and the natural family planning method. So go ahead and listen to that too to get an idea of what you're looking for. That's how I would tell all of you, whether you have PCOS or not, to 
guide you in seeing if your hormones are getting balanced out because really that's the best cue is that you do ovulate on a regular basis. And then from there, it's, you know, just minimizing the symptoms of your cycle. So minimizing the breast tenderness and the cramps and the other PMS symptoms that you have being as regular as possible. So all of that would come, that's what we would look for with PCOS and with all other hormonal imbalances too. So I just am a little bit concerned because it seems like you could potentially be going slightly backwards instead of forward. So I want to make sure that you're doing a non-stressful version of keto for your body. That would be my first cue. And also, I guess, give it a maybe another month or two and see if it starts balancing itself out. I have seen cases where when you are balancing your hormones and keto is kind of working to do that for you, that you can almost seem like you're going a little bit backwards before you go forwards. And it's just kind of part of the process of your hormones balancing out. They don't always do so in perfect order. So you may experience a little bit of worsening almost as a healing reaction before it gets better. But that should be pretty minor. It should more so be like you may have some spotting in the middle of your cycle one month and then the next month it's fine. So it should be pretty minor changes that happen, not kind of potentially what you're experiencing now. Can you talk a little about how a keto diet can assist with cognitive symptoms of depression like negative thinking, difficulty concentrating, distractibility, indecisiveness, etc.? Ooh, this one got a likes too. This was a good one. Okay. Yes. So what we're doing when we are getting into a ketogenic state is we are producing ketones that are the preferred source of fuel for your brain. Not only just cognitive function, so your brain is just kind of functioning better and quicker and responding quicker because it has this nice clean fuel. You know, it's like putting unleaded fuel in your car versus premium fuel in your car. Like your engine's going to work better and it's going to have less gunk and all that stuff. So you can kind of think of it like that. You're just providing a better resource of fuel for your brain. But there's also a lot of healing that also takes place in the brain because of the ketone production in like your neurotransmitters at a cellular level. That's kind of the main reason why I started a ketogenic diet is just to help with my intense brain fog to where I couldn't remember anything, words, nothing. And it helped almost immediately by getting into this nice state of ketosis and having that ketone fuel, but also just in actually restoring that function of my brain by healing the cells, working on the neurotransmitters and the connection or the communication that that system has in our brain. So you're doing that with ketone production as well. So when you have things like negative thinking, difficulty concentrating, distractibility, indecisiveness, those kinds of things, those are also very much symptoms of a lack of fuel for your brain. And that could be where if you're trying to go low carb, you might be causing a case where there's not enough glucose for your brain to function because when there's no ketones, it's going to use glucose as fuel. And there are parts of your brain that do prefer and do rely on glucose for fuel, which even in ketosis, we still create that glucose needed for our brain in that particular area through gluconeogenesis coming from our liver. So no need to worry not a big deal. You're still getting it. But if you're low carb, then you need that. But then your body also needs 
glucose for the rest of your functions, for all of the functions. So if you go too low carb without producing ketones, then you will get some of that fogginess and the indecisiveness and just not feeling as sharp because your brain in particular doesn't have that fuel that it needs to really thrive. So keep that in mind too, especially with some of those things you were describing. I could see that being the case too. So definitely the case. Again, I'm so adamant about people not just doing low carb, doing actually getting into ketosis and seeing what happens then. So that would be another kind of argument for that case. This is probably the dumbest question. No, no, absolutely zero dumb questions on keto for women. I love them all. Do carbs from veggies count towards your total carb count or should I only count net carbs? I've been looking all over for a legit answer. My total carb comes to 42 grams with 26 fiber. So should I only count my net carbs as my daily intake or do I need to cut veggies? So lots to unpack here. First of all, do carbs from veggies count towards your total carb count? Yes, of course. So I, first of all, am someone that promotes counting total carbs. So I think if you're going to count carbs, which we'll talk about, then I would say count vegetables and count them as their whole part. So that means that perhaps you're having more or you're allowing, quote unquote, again, all words I'm just hating saying, but I'm trying to actually answer your question before I move on, then you could potentially increase the amount of carbs that you're having per day, but you're counting total carbs. So the reason for this is twofold. And I've talked about this. First of all, I think any sort of math equation around food is just not the way that we should be living. So when you're adding one more step to the process of trying to count your carbs, it becomes confusing. It becomes even more of a math equation. We're getting even further away from food being enjoyment, pleasure, nourishment, nutrient density, and more so into a math equation. And I don't agree with that for long-term health or life and just living life and having happiness. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is because there is the possibility that fiber can actually stimulate your blood sugar. So it's not necessarily this quote unquote free for all carbohydrate. So keep that in mind too. So that's why I think counting the food as a whole towards your carbs is really important. So I count total carbs. I recommend people count total carbs. And then moving on, your actual carbs come to 42 grams with 26 grams of fiber. So my question is, does that mean that you're eating the same exact thing every single day? Because it seems like you know your exact 42 and 26 and it's happening, seems like pretty regularly. So my concern would be that you're so focused on getting these numbers totally accurate that once again, we've moved so far away from what food actually is. And so I would encourage anybody who is in this space to get back to what food should be and to see this again, more of as a lifestyle. And I'm not saying like, don't ever track, although I do have a whole episode about how to do keto without tracking. I think it's one of the most popular episodes because it's really important. And I think a lot of people do want to get away from the tracking apps and the numbers and the calculations, and it just becomes too much. And it's, again, another stressor on our already very fragile female body to where we could be doing more harm than good in a ketogenic space. So I think that for some people, I could see how you potentially could use a tracking measurement for a few weeks in order to get the feel of a ketogenic diet, but I don't think that you have to or you should. 
I'll just say that. Again, go back to that episode and listen to that because I tell you how to not even track and still get into ketosis. That being said, if you do want to track, I would just do so with the knowledge and the ability to move away from that. So track for, again, a small period of time to get an idea of what it looks like. And then really, I would really love to see as many people as possible get away from knowing the exact amount of carbohydrates that you're eating and exactly how many leaves of lettuce you can have. And all that stuff is just not how we should be living. There's so much more to life than that. So I'd really love for you all to do that. And please don't cut veggies. Please do not cut vegetables in order to get your quote-unquote carb count. Vegetables are extremely important in a ketogenic diet. We need those micronutrients so badly that we're already deficient in. And then when a lot of us go keto, we become even more deficient in. So please do not cut your vegetables. Those are really important to keep in there. And you're probably going to do fine with a little more veggie. Can intermittent fasting cause silent reflux? I never knew I had a problem with this and likely had it for many months before I knew what it was. I eliminated dairy and several other foods, took supplements that should help, and elevated my bed. Funny thing was, when we went on an eight-day cruise, my reflux was gone. I was eating three meals a day and wonder if that's why it got better. I've continued eating three meals a day since returning home and still no return of the reflux. I really want to fast because I feel better and my blood sugar is lower when I do. Is there anything else that could be causing this. So yes, intermittent fasting can definitely cause reflux. I mean, you have all of the proof right here that when you eat, you don't have it. And when you don't, you do. So right there is just showing you that that's what's going on. And what happens, and this is again, just coming from a place of kind of thought process and not full on research. But what I would see happening is basically when you're fasting, your body is still kind of mimicking the process of digestion, especially perhaps during those times when you would normally eat, or maybe during your fast, you're having something that does promote or kind of trigger that sense of digestion in your body. So maybe if you're like chewing gum or having some bone broth or having some kombucha or something that is just enough to trigger the sense of your body needing to break down food, even though there's no food actually coming in. And it could even be just that you're like around food, you're smelling food, you're seeing food, you're thinking about food. Our whole digestive process starts in our brain. So it could be something as simple as that. And then that digestive process is triggered. There's no food coming in for the stomach to digest. So your stomach has gotten to its point of being acidic enough to break down food, but there's nothing there. And so it causes acid reflux. That would be my general thought as to what's going on with you. So I would say, first of all, don't fast if that's what's happening and it's making you uncomfortable, which I totally agree that that would do. So maybe fasting isn't right for you. And I know you want to control your blood sugar. And I know that's really important, but there are definitely other ways to do so. Even if you just do more of like a fat fast where you're just eating super high fats for part of the day and keeping your protein and carbs really low at that point, just to control your blood sugar a little better. So you could do that. Or if there is something that you're doing as part of your intermittent fast that could be contributing to this, your body sensing like it needs to start that digestive process, cut that out and just go straight water. That would be my next idea for you. So those are my two thoughts. But 
I'm definitely someone that believes intermittent fasting should come extremely easily in order to make sure it's right for your body and maybe it's just not the right time for you. Okay, I think we will wrap it up here today. I think I got through quite a few for how many there are. So we're starting to get through them and there'll be so many more of these coming up. I love answering all your questions. So thank you so much for submitting them. Thank you so much for keeping them general and short and sweet. As you can see, it makes the topics flow a lot better and it makes me able to get through a lot more. So definitely keep them coming and we'll get through them all. I promise one of these days. Until then, I hope you all have a great week and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.